You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Amen. Now I mentioned we're in uh, we're in this in-between spot, and I've been thinking uh, long and hard about what is the best way to use this little sliver, this bracket or checkpoint in that in the midst of our where we've been coming from in two Corinthians, and then we're, we're where we're about to go. Now, if you're with us last week, um, the book of two Corinthians ends with Paul's plea to this church which as he's been talking to them, he's like, be reconciled to God, we implore you. And then at the end, he just hits the hammer down and he's just like, guys, examine yourselves. Test yourselves to see if Christ is in you. We reflected on that and we had time for ourselves to test and examine. We, we thought about how our spiritual life is, is we, we, we can be very aware that we are spiritual becoming or are spiritually alive when we become more aware of our sin. When we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, when things, when we're not uh, walking in step with the Spirit, when we are not submitting to Jesus and his lead for us. And we spend some time examining ourselves and asking, is Christ, are you in me? We're testing ourselves. We had a time there to reflect on that. Now, last week I used a term and I, and I, and I spoke about how that can mean that uh, it's a, it's a good evidence that you're a Christian, that if you're feeling these, this sense of like, oh, I feel so weak, I feel so helpless, but I cast myself upon you, Lord, to save me. That's the posture of the Christian, one of helplessness, one of, one of neediness, but one that is, ha- one that has satisfaction and confidence in Christ. What, someone that is someone who is saved by the goodness and the mercy and the love and the grace of God. By grace, you have been saved. Through faith, it is a free gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. Now, today, I want to use this time that we have to build on that idea of examining ourselves because I, it had occurred to me throughout the week. I was thinking about what I said. I listened to it again. And and my heart for all of you, if you are here and you call City on Hill Surf Coast your home church, um, I feel, uh, at the, Paul in 2 Corinthians, I feel a, a deep jealousy for you. I want you to grow in your love for Jesus and I want it to be a love that is pure and genuine and real and rightly directed, rightly directed. And I feel that there's still more I need to say to build on this idea of examining ourselves. And and, and as we examine ourselves, I, I, I want to come to this question, this idea of is Christ in you? It's and we feel this way, and we throw ourselves upon Jesus, we go, yes, we're saved. Yes, I can say that I'm saved. I'm a Christian, I'm saved. You know, we, we often hear that in conversation. Are you saved? Are you a believer? Are you saved? But here's the next question that follows on that question, are you saved? Like it's saved for what? Saved for what? Saved to do what? Saved, what does that mean? Save so that, what do you fill into that blank? 
This is a this is this is a question I think we really need to seriously consider because if you examine yourselves, I'm like, yes, Christ is in me for oh. What's the next step? Um, and so what we're going to do this morning is I uh, perhaps you already have a very uh, good knowledge of this and you feel very comfortable where you are, but I'm going to do something which is basically, as we often do, we're just going to try and keep it simple and just run back to the basics. I just want to run back to some basics. And I just want to put before you just uh, a message of that is just the, uh, what there's so much to say here, but I just want to try and keep it as simple as I can when we think saved for what? So we've got to fill that in rightly because I mean, I'm a bit of a mongrel Christian. I've been in a lot of different churches. I've been all the way down the Pentecostal road and all the way up the hill in the, in the Presbyterian road. You know, I feel like I've seen, you know, every, have ever, I've had, been able to have a bite of all the pieces of Christian flavors, you know, sit in the Baptist church for a while, in the community church for a while that used to be Bretho. And I'm just like, I've, I've had a few different tastes and, and, and I don't know. I think this has served me well, but often I get really confused. Because I get these different messages about, well, this Christianity means this, and it means this, and you expect this, and you do this, and you're just like, oh, I'm getting pulled around in so many different directions. And so, so often I find myself, I want to dive again into the gospel. And it's like, what does this do? What is this good new of Jesus reconciling me to God? That's what Paul says. I implore you, be reconciled to God. What does it do? What, what should I expect? What should I be, what, what is going to be happening in my heart? What should I now be longing for? What am I saved for? Do you know the answer to that question? You ship, you know, you're at work on Monday, you're with your friends, you're like, well, you say you're a Christian, you're saved. Like, what's that mean? It's mean to be saved. It's mean to be saved. So this is what we're going to do. I want to talk about four incomplete views that are in, that it's in our world of what it means to be saved. Four incomplete views. I say incomplete because there's an element of truth to them. There's an element that is right, which leads us there that often can be based on our personality or, or, um, or experience or just however your upbringing has been. Four incomplete views of what being safe for is. And then, uh, I want to tell a story. I want to tell a story to get us to the right view. What I would say is the complete view, which encompasses all of those views plus its combination in Christ. Okay. Four incomplete views, a story, and then the right view. God's view. What does it mean to be saved? One of the views is that you are saved so that you can live life under God. You are saved, you have been brought near so that you can now live life under God. God now becomes this God over your life. God is now your boss. Isn't that great? Because now, now that you've brought near to God and you live under God, if you do the right things, God will bless you. If you can follow and, and, and keep pleasing this God, uh, God is going to, uh, see that you have some personal benefit now because God sits above all things and you fearfully submit underneath this God. That's what you've been saved into. Uh, and often, you know, this can be a view of a lot of people that they're in church for a while and it's just like, well, I come to church. I don't know why, but it's like because I'm meant to, I'm meant to because I've been saved to live under God. Now, this is partly right because it gets to the idea that we see in the Bible that God is king. Of course, we're to be saved to be under God. That makes sense. And there's, and it, and there's in a sense of appeal to us because we find a sense of, 
of comfort in knowing that God is a good king. But the, the way that it's incomplete is that if you are living under God, just solely under God, it means that you're going to lean towards, well, if I get everything right, and if I do enough over here, and if I do enough under this big supreme being, then I'll get the blessing. And the other side to that is if I don't do enough right, if I don't do good enough, then as I sit under this big God, I'm not going to get blessing. That's not gospel. That's not what we're saved for. Not saved to a bunch of rules under the, under a vindictive boss. Being under God is thinking primarily that God is distant and disinterested until you do what is right. That's the under God view. There's a little bit of it which makes sense to us. He's king, yes, but it's not. That's not what you're primarily saved for. It's not to be just under God. That's one under God. The next one that we see in our world is this sense of you are saved to be over God. You sit over God now. You are saved and now you've got the Bible, man. Basic instructions before leaving earth. I've got all the wisdom. Got the Holy Spirit with me. I've got all this wisdom and like I can figure stuff out. You know, you know, I'm, I'm going to leave it to me, God. I do. You watch. Thanks for bringing me close and giving me the, the divine wisdom now. And I'm just going to basically functionally live as an atheist with science and some Bible to guide me. I'll live over you, God. Thanks for that ticket for me realizing that now that I'm saved. It's this view of living over God. Now, some of that makes a little bit of sense, right, doesn't it? Because it's just like, well, kind of, yeah, because we are saved to be to know God and then God, there's wisdom. I find wisdom in God. That's that that kind of makes sense. And and there's a sense of appeal because we find some wisdom in God and that's good and now I have a sense of control over my life. But if that's all it is, if you just say to be over God with some stuff, do your thing, what happens when what happens when life implodes? What happens when life goes so bad and you're just like stuck on your own with my little rule book here that's just like, ooh, fat lot of good that is. If I'm only thinking about it from a wisdom posture as a stand back and let me figure it out posture. See, it's not saved to be over God primarily. It's not so that's that's not what that's that's, that's, all, that's all it's about. Don't 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 limit yourself to that. That's true. Saved under God, saved over God. Then there is to be saved so you can have stuff from God. That's one of the other views, isn't it? God has a great plan for your life. Awesome. I've got a great plan for my life too. Are you saying that I can like partner up with God and he's going to like fulfill my great plans? God owns all of the, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So if you come onto God's team, if you're saved to be with God, you're going to get some of that cattle or some of that stuff. God in the saved from, so you can get stuff from God, turns God into this divine vending machine. The only, the only appeal that people have towards God is the stuff I can get from God. I'm saved. I'm in the church. I'm in this family. I'm getting community. I'm getting love. I'm getting affirmation. I'm getting experience. I'm getting emotions. I've got the feels. And whenever I want, I'm just going to chuck into God. I'm like, give me some more of that stuff, God. And there's a sense that that is right. There's a certain, there's a certain parallel with what the Bible teaches in his presence of fullness of joy. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Get the order right, by the way, on that verse. 
get the order right, delight yourself in the Lord, and you'll get the desires of your heart. God is a God who loves to bless his kids. He loves to bless his children. He loves to provide his children. But if you are saved, if the only appeal of being drawn near to God is so that you can just get his stuff, you don't want God, you just want his stuff. And that view is rife in churches today. Corrupting people's faith faith leads to all sorts of church hurt. Because what happens when you don't get stuff? What happens when life gets real bad? What happens when you are a screw-up? Where's God? I'm doing something wrong. Don't have enough faith. I'm the problem. I'm not saved. I'll run somewhere else to find the desires of my heart. Three incomplete views. Last one. This is the tricky one. We are saved. We are saved for God. We are saved for God. And that is you are saved to be in God's, to be, to be, to be there for God, to accomplish God's plans. You're there. And if you are saved, you are saved into this divine, eternal purpose. And, and, and now you are saved to be a part of this community that's on a mission, that's with God, that has eternal significance. And that is so appealing. Let me tell you, as someone that's been in the army, to be on a mission that's going to make a difference, to make your life count. It's just like, yes, sign me up. But the trouble with that is if, if, if you're, the only reason that you're saved is to be on mission and to be doing the things God wants you to do, if, if the only reason that God, if God saves you is so that he can just, just use you for his purposes, then that can also betray our view of God because there'll be times that when we're just like, we're not able, we will feel that we're not able to do what God is calling us to do. So it's like, how'd you go sharing your faith this week? Uh, really hard. You're a terrible Christian. No one says that. That's how they, that's how we feel in those conversations. You know, you read a passage like 1 Peter 3, always give an answer, the hope for the you profess. You're like, oh, fine. If you're saved for God, if that's your primary view, you come to that scripture and no longer is it there to guide you and direct you and give you life, but it becomes this, this constant sense of con- condemnation. But it aligns because there's truth in it because we are saved towards, we're saved for purpose. That is, you know, Jesus, you are saved to be on mission with God. It's awesome. Let me tell you, like I give up my life to do this stuff. Like it's the best job in the world, best part of the world, pastoring this church. You guys are amazing, you know. But my salvation is not from the predominant position of for God. Now, pause digest four incomplete views to be saved under god god is boss to be saved over god over god functional atheist to be saved to get stuff from god prosperity teaching to be saved to be for god which is this idea of just it's all about just doing stuff for god before i move on just recognize it's helpful to recognize which one do you have a propensity of leaning towards? Because we all do. Family of origin will influence this. What people in the past have told us about what God is like will influence this. 
Our limited reading of the Bible will influence this. Just by being a white Westerner that lives in Torquay in the vanilla state of Victoria will influence this. By being in like the top 1% of the, of the world's richest people will influence this. In a culture where your stuff defies you, where life is hard, everything's going down the toilet will influence this. Where do you naturally lean to? It's good to recognize that before we move on. Because then you'll know the direction of which you're walking away from. Because the Christian life is one of repentance. Martin Luther says daily repentance. And repentance is turning from what we once believed to believe in the truth. It's turning from what is turning from one thing to Jesus, where we find hope and life. It's reorientating our direction and our desires and our delights to God. And it's really helpful to know what we're reorientating away from as much as it is to know what we're reorientating to. Where do you, where, where would you normally lean to? Now, let me tell you a story. You might be familiar with this story. It's the story of God's people. Long ago, when they had been exiled into the land of Egypt, God's people were there, and there was an evil dictator over that land, Pharaoh. He had put God's people into oppression, into slavery, uh, and he was taking everything from them. And they were crying out to God because they recognized how wrong this was. And it wasn't just the Israelites. It wasn't just God's people. There was other Egyptians that could recognize that this is not cool, what Pharaoh was doing. This is not cool. I can see where this is going to go. And so God's people cry out in the midst of this sin, in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of this ideology, in the midst of this misconstrued power. They call out. And God, in his love and in his grace and in his mercy, he hears his people. He sees the affliction that's going on. He sees what is not right. And he sends a leader. He sends a rescuer. He sends a man to go on his behalf to represent him. And this man goes and faces up to the evil and to the oppression and the one that is responsible for it all. He faces up to Pharaoh. His name is Moses. And he says, let my people go. And then for the coming days, weeks, there's a battle that ensues, isn't there? And then this leader that God sends, God, God, God proves to Pharaoh, like, this is my guy. Look, take out his hand into his jacket, take it out, a leprous hand, put it back in. It's healed again. Whoa, this guy has power. Takes his staff, throws it on the ground, turns it into the snake. Snake eats up the other staff that was turned into a snake. I'm God's messenger. Takes the water from the Nile, the lifeblood of that place that Pharaoh would have valued so much for the growing of crops in the midst of Egypt, and he pours it onto the ground and it turns into blood. God's leader sent to rescue God's people. And in the midst of this rescue, there's the final act of judgment because God's just like, well, we're going to do this now. We're, I'm just going to, I'm going to rip them out. I'm going to go in and we're going to judge this thing. And so there is, word goes out across 
the land of Egypt to the Israelites and to all the people that are hearing and seeing what's going on and are now compelled and drawn towards this leader, Moses. There's hope with this guy. Have you seen what he's been doing? Have you heard what he's been saying? I think we should do what he says. I think we should respond to this guy's invitation. And this Moses says, well, guys, what you need to do is you need to go get a lamb, spotless lamb without blemish, bring it into your house, look after it for a week, get to know this lamb. It's beautiful. It's lovely. You love this lamb. Then I want you to take the lamb, put it on the ground, put your knee behind its neck, pull it back and cut its throat. You're going to collect the blood of that lamb. That lamb is now dead. It's going to die in your place. What are you going to do with that blood? Take the blood, paint it onto your doorposts of your house. This is the day. And then that, that, that night, that night, I'm going to walk through, I'm going to go through the land of Egypt. And whoever has a, has confidence and has a, and can place their trust in my message that if you're in that house, you'll be okay. If you believe that, you'll be okay. And on the other side of that rescue, we're going to charge on out. You'll be like, whoa, it's happening. Well, there's liberation that's beginning. And you're going to go through, they go through the, the, the seas. There's this watery liberation through the red sea. Like Moses, like stick in the sea, parts. Everyone run. Watery liberation through here. Amazing. Amazing. You know that psalm that we read on behalf of uh, City Kids before Psalm 78? If you keep reading that psalm, that psalm goes on to tell of everything of that experience of being liberated, the exodus out of Egypt. And they remember going through the Red Sea. They're like, I remember that. I remember the beginning of my new life. It started with this awesome event of passing through the waters of God's judgment and being safe on the other side and seeing actually the Egyptians swallowed up. You know what? God saved his people through Moses in that great exodus. Do you know why he saved them? Do you know what he saved them for? Exodus 6, 8. God speaking to Moses, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment, and I will take you to be my people. I will take you to be my people. I will take you to be as my own people. I will be your God, and then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the yoke of the Egyptians. Exodus 6. Leviticus 26 goes on to say, I will walk among you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. You will be my people. What are we saved for? 
when you think about being saved, when you think about this story in Exodus, is your view of being saved consistent with this story? Because <laughs> let's think for a moment about Jesus. Because let me tell you, look, we're not in Egypt right now. But far out, it sure as heck feels like we are sometimes. Sin that corrupts the world around us. feel like aliens and foreigners in a weird land. There's chaos. There's ideology. Ideology. Can't say that word today. Come on, Louis. Ideology. Ideology. If this is anyway, ideology, I'm going to get cancer from YouTube. So. Um, there's an abuse of power today, isn't there? Something's wrong. It's just like Egypt. And let's think about Jesus for a moment. You see, Jesus, uh, he didn't go before, um, he didn't go before Pharaoh and turn water into blood, but he did go to a party and he turned water into wine. See, Jesus didn't stand before Pharaoh, the Pharaoh of the land, he didn't stop stand before him and show him how he could turn his hand leprous and then make it clean again. But you know, he did go to people that were hurt and needy and broken and went to lepers and he touched them and he healed them. And you know, Jesus didn't hold a staff to throw down to become a snake and watch that snake swallow up the snake of the land. But do you know what Jesus did? He who knew no sin became sin for us. He became a snake. He became our sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, that as Jesus hung on the cross and the serpent was lifted up and people looked to him, he defeats the sin of this world. He crushes the powers and the rulers and the authorities and the evil forces of the present age and in the, and the prince and the power of the air. Jesus is the new and better great leader. He is the new and better Moses. He has better signs. He has better wonders. He has better teaching. He keeps building on what God has already established in who his character is in Moses. And then Jesus, not only being the one to crush the snake, not only being the one to defeat Pharaoh, he comes and he looks at us because Pharaoh's sin is oppressing them. He looks at us and we are full of sin ourselves. And so what should he do? What should he do logically for justice, for judgment? He looks at you. How's your thought life been this week? You know, it says if you, have, if you harbour anger in your heart, you have, may as well have murdered the guy. Men, women, have you had a lustful thought or intention towards someone today? Well, you may as well have committed adultery either. We don't cover, covet our neighbour's donkey or King James Version, insert that there. But how often have we looked around at the world around us or been on Facebook Marketplace or been on that website and be like, you know what, I need that thing. I would love to have that thing. And now I'm gonna just, all I'm going to do is think about that thing until I have that thing because that thing's going to make me happy. Idolatry. Finding delight in the creation and as opposed to the creator. What technically should God do? 
And what technically should Jesus do? Be like, well, you're sinful, you're out too. Done, judged. Let's bring in perfection. Is that what he does? You know what the good news of the Bible is? And Jesus rocks up on the scene, John the Baptist sees him, says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Takes away the sins of the world. Jesus becomes the Lamb who is slaughtered in our place so that his blood would go over the doorpost of our lives. And if we believe that we are safe in him, we will be saved from the judgment of sin. We will be saved from the judgment of sin. We will be saved from the judgment of sin. Isn't that awesome? Saved from the the judgment that was coming to us. And how? Just be like, well, I've just got to trust that if I'm in the house, I'll be all right. Really? You've just got to believe that? Yeah. I've just got to believe and trust in the blood of Christ that if it covers me, I'll be all right. Really? You've just got to believe that and accept that and put your confidence in that? Yeah. So what are we then saved for? What are we saved for then? I hope you've got your Bibles open for that reading. 1 Peter 3. See, Peter starts with the, in verse 8, the impact, like how we are to live as those people that are saved, the, the, the inferences of saving, the results of being saved happens to God's people in Exodus as well, happens to them. Because, you know, they are liberated out of Egypt and then God gives them, the, they are saved first and then give rules for life. Peter's talking about the rules, some rules for life, some guiding principles like, you know, brotherly love, tender heart, humble mind, don't repay evil for evil. So it's like this is just this is how my kids act. But verse 18, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, righteous. Why? 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 That he might bring us to God. That he might bring us to God. You see that what that verse tells me? It's not about being saved so that we can live under God or over God or get stuff from God or so that we can uh, do things for God, which all have elements of truth. We've thought about that, but we are saved so that we can be with God, with God. You are saved to be with God, with God. I will be their God and they will be my people. You are saved to be with God. In his presence, there is, in his presence, there are pleasures forevermore. Fullness of joy. We are being saved to be with God. That was Paul saying all the way through. You, I implore you, be reconciled to God. Be rejoined to God. Live life with God, with him. And as you do, you can say we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Ephesians 2, Paul's right. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 2 Corinthians 6, 18, he says, I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. 
2 Peter 2, just before this passage, he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvellous light. You are saved to be with God. And the implications on that, man, I want to do a series on that. I want to preach through that. Being with God and the freedom and the joy that that brings. It's insane. It's awesome to know that you can be with God. You know, once you figure that out, once you, once you can lock into your mind that it's not primarily about living under God. It's not primarily about living over God. It's not primarily getting stuff from God. It's not primarily doing stuff for God, but it's primarily to be with God. Everything then that you read in the Bible makes sense. When you read the teachings of Jesus, it just makes more sense. When Jesus says, it's just like, make, you know, do not neglect giving up to one another, but continue to gather with one another, you know, and even more as you see the day approaching, it's just like, well, it makes sense. We're going to be with God. And if I'm with God, if I'm with Jesus, then actually Jesus is with a whole lot of other people too, isn't he? So if I'm with Jesus, I'll be with other people too that are with Jesus. Oh, that's, that's the value of the church family. Huh. And if I'm with Jesus, what are some of the things that Jesus does? Well, actually, whenever I'm reading about Jesus, he's being kind, he's being loving, he's providing, he's showing mercy, he's caring for the people around him. So actually, as I do those things, and if I walk in step with Jesus, well, all of a sudden I find that I'm spending more time with Jesus. And it also makes sense when we're not doing those things while we feel so empty. So, so when we go and chase after our own desires and our own passions and our own wills, and we're just like, oh, man, I feel rubbish. What's this deep conviction that I feel? Like, why do I feel so hollow, this empty shell of a human being? It's because it's you not with Jesus. That's not the stuff that Jesus does. You know, stop wasting your time. Stop chasing down that thing. Stop stop doing this stuff that isn't what Jesus would be doing. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference that if you can understand that it's all about being with Jesus, Christ died, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that you may be brought to God. So it's at this point I want to say again. Examine yourselves. Test yourselves. And see if Christ is in you. With you. And look around and examine your own heart. Look around at the world and go, have you felt a need to be saved from this world? You felt that? Have you had a feeling that you're only actually going to be finding your answers in Jesus? Have you felt that? For you is, are you beginning to think that actually you could believe in Jesus and you could put your trust in him? You could let him save you. You could let him lead you. Examine yourselves. Do you see Jesus as being actually strangely compelling and magnetic and attractive? If you can answer yes to those questions, it's like, put your faith in Jesus.
Paint the blood of Jesus over the doorposts of your life. Step into the waters of baptism and have a memorable moment of being brought through the waters of judgment. And keep remembering that Jesus is with you. And if you remember that Jesus is with you, then there's peace. Then there's comfort. Then there's security because he is a shield around us. He goes before us. He's beside us. He's with us. And as you spend more time with Jesus, things like the stuff you think you need, the things that you should be doing, the blessings that maybe you, you long for, they'll begin to make more and more sense because everything is being run past it's Jesus. So there's my heart. What I want us to run back to and keep holding on to and to be thinking of when we think we are saved. You know what? Work colleague, friend, kids, mum, dad, when I think about being saved, I just think about how I've been saved to be with Jesus, to be with God in flesh, to be with this one who, despite me having rejected him, he still accepted me. And now we walk together and he keeps refining me. He's so gentle. He's so kind. I'm never alone. It's awesome. I hope. And insert the next eight weeks of a sermon series that I would love to do here. But you know, one thing we can do, which we will keep coming back to, is one thing that Jesus gives us so that we can remember him. We can remember that he is with us. And that's the Lord's Supper. It's time to be at the Lord's table. See, what's significant about hospitality? What's significant about the table moment? It's a place of acceptance. It's a place of intimacy. It's a place of being with one another. Being with one another. There's Pavarotti, I think, that said, you know, he said, one of the things that I just love about being a human is that three times a day we have to stop, pause, sit down and eat. <laughs> he was quite overweight, by the way. <laughs> But aren't some of our fondest memories the meals that we've shared? And isn't the best picture of being united and joined with people and laughing and warmth and comfort, isn't that always just around food? You know what Jesus does on the night that he's betrayed? You know what he does on the night that he's betrayed, that he goes to the cross to be the sacrificial lamb that takes away the sins of the world? Do you know what he does? He does Passover. He does Passover which is the meal that God gave to his people to say, keep having this meal. Eat some lamb, guys. Get some meat on the barbecue. Sorry, vegans. Get some meat on the barbecue and remember, remember how I liberated you out of Egypt. And Jesus, on the night he's betrayed, he's like, guys, guess what? Passover 2.0. That was beta version last time. Passover 2.0. I know that some of you can't afford meat. He's like, interest rates have gone up. So just use some bread and some wine or some juice. And when you do that, remember, remember I've liberated you from sin.
Remember where your trust is and remember that you're with me primarily. You're with me primarily at the table. Hospitality. So this is what's going to happen. I want the band to come up. We'll have some music, uh, just some time to reflect. I'm going to bring forward the elements of the Lord's Supper. And when you're ready, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're someone that has been like, yeah, my life is one where I've painted the blood over the doorpost of my life. My life is one where I, my confidence is in Jesus to save me. If that's you and you want to participate in this remembrance and this moment of remembering God with us, I'm with God, God with me, that's what I'm saved for, then as you already come forward, grab some bread, grab one of the juices, take it back to your seat, hold it there as a, as a symbol of our unity together. We'll all eat and drink at the same time. I'll lead us in a prayer. But in that space before the eating, just take a moment to say thank you. Say thank you to God. Thank you, Jesus. I didn't, don't come under your judgment for my sins. Thank you for forgiving me. And then just say, just I would encourage you to say, I'm sure all of us are somewhere on this perspective this morning of going, you know what? I had a propensity of living over God or under God or from or for God. And just say, hey, God, look, I'm, I'm sorry for that. Um, thank you for this moment too. And please keep recalibrating my heart to be a posture of with you before it is whatever the other one was. Can we do that? Does that make sense? Okay, so I'm going to bring forward the elements. Come forward when you're ready and just take this time of reflection. And then from there, we'll, um, we're going to have some time seeing and remembering this good news. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.